I'm going to jump back. So I'm probably going to put the eel chat at the end of the call as like the uh, reward for sitting through an hour. I promise you, I can now promise this because I can look into the future. I now promise there will be eel chats after the interview with Angus. This is how prophetic I am. This is the, some people call me a visionary. I'm going to talk to some eels. I'm going to tell them some of the ways of the world. Justin, will I be able to talk to some eels? Uh, <laughs> Can I ask, do we know what stage we're up to? Like, if if last week was acceptance, is there a stage after acceptance? I don't know what week six is. It's kind of, yeah, because we were talking about maybe we circle back to denial, which would mean this week's Anger 2, the sequel to Anger. <laughs> anger 2 Boogaloo. Anger 2 Pig in the City. I'm not really feeling angry. Um, this is nice. Uh, anger 2, step up to the streets. Yeah, it's a, I would say, if anything, it's more of a denial type week, you know? so I'm feeling that. I spent last night, I had half a pack of Monte Carlos, I drank a cider, and watched Tombstone. Isn't it lovely? It's kind of lovely. There is no option for you to say, oh, I was about to say, if you don't like it, we're uh, we're going to have more issues than the Monte Carlos last week. No, this is a, <laughs> this is a good film. Uh, there are a couple of scenes that are nuts, uh, but it's one of those films that, because it's so long, um, there's going to be some rubbish in it. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> we're in the era of long rubbish films, honestly. Yeah. Editing today. Must just be catering to man-children, really. Judd Apatow, get a better editor. I don't know what you're doing, man. That topical Judd Apatow humour. Um, yeah, I, I watched three films in a row that actually all had really excellent like use of colour and colour grading. Ooh, what'd you watch? Because I watched, within the space of 24 hours, because this is roughly the tenor of my week, I finished <laughs> editing the podcast, I took a breath, and then I watched Pan's Labyrinth, Pleasantville and Tombstone, and that is oh, a wow. heck yeah. of a trio of movies. That that's a really strong lineup. They're not messing around with color, are they? No, no. I mean, they are, and that's what's delightful. But there you go. Pleasantville most egregiously because it's a black and white movie for like half of it. I mean, that's incredible. Hmm. Yeah, who would have known that a Tobey Maguire comedy from nineteen ninety eight? No, Reese Witherspoon. Oh, there we go. Although it does have so many things in common with Spider-Man, apart from Kirsten Dunst, that I think you could legally say that Reese Witherspoon should just change her name to Kirsten Dunst. I don't know. Now they both feel like grizzled veterans of, you know, Hollywood. You know, when you talk to Reese Witherspoon and she's all about the the girl power and strongly female-dominated narratives now, and you're like, I feel like you've seen some shit. That is what happens when Reese and I catch up. We do talk about that. Uh-huh. But yeah, it's good. I've had a good time of it, uh, really. It's all been kind of weird. I mean, I, I get what you're saying with not knowing where we stand after acceptance, because it has kind of been a blur of all of them this week. It's just kind yeah. of like, I don't feel different emotions anymore. I feel one emotion, and that emotion is like a glitch. Uh, it's like an aberration of all of them combined. Oh, cool. I'm going to cry at Toby Maguire and Jeff Daniels having a real moment now. Oh, bud. Greg Daniels? Jeff. His name is just one of those uh, vaguely 90s middle-aged man names. 
Um, <laughs> you, you get them. They sometimes. all blur together. Take that, Jeffs and Gregs and Craigs and Neils. Um, you're all on blast. <laughs> That's so many people. I didn't put Nathan's on blast, though. <laughs> oh, yeah, Nathan's. Not will... like we did last week. I'm going to say relatively well behaved this week, so no <laughs> vengeance shall come for them through old timey songs. But we're watching. We're still watching. <laughs> Always watching. I listened to last week's recently and was like, wow, I really, I was just playing devil's advocate for everything. I was like, I don't know, maybe we shouldn't tax the uber wealthy. I don't know. We were right to cancel that fun thing that maybe we could have found a workaround. Eurovision. You've just caught up with the podcast that you're on. <laughs> well, I've talked to you about how it feels very self-indulgent because yeah. I don't, I'm not editing it. I'm just listening to it when it's all fancy and finished, but it is actually important so I can remember the things I've said previously where it sounds like I'm campaigning for problem gamblings and just remember to work on those things and not endorse really bad things. See, that's, I think, the problem with listening back to it once. When I listen back to it for like a hundred edits, I'm just like, oh man, I'm glad that it kind of has a beginning, middle and end, but also they're just words that make sense in an order. (laughs) That's all we need. That's all I am to you, just someone that can produce words that make sense in a row. Yeah, and I thought about calling the podcast that, but I thought I'd go for something more pithy. (laughs) But now you are aware of and can use with the correct nuance the best quote from Tombstone, I'll be your huckleberry. I'll be your huckleberry. Exactly. I want it to become a popular pickup line because if someone used that on me, just mind blown. Like, when's the wedding like, it's just a done deal. But what I like about it is that, given the context of the movie, what you're suggesting is that you walk up to someone that's trying to pick up a different person at the bar. Yeah, power move. <laughs> and you interrupt that flirt and you say, I'll be your Huckleberry, because it is a correction. The line is, <laughs> it's him saying, no, no, don't worry about these other people. I'll be your Huckleberry. Yeah, super power move. Just like, boom, hey, what's up? Yeah, don't mess around with those guys. Yeah. I'm your guy. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I've got you covered uh, is essentially what that is slang for. Now, you can watch Winona Earp and you can be like, oh, Tim Rose on that. Yeah. Yeah, that makes, that's good. Not to get too deep in the, in the tumbleweeds here (laughs) it's just a little (laughs) western joke (laughs) um i understand who val kilmer is now like (laughs) like i've seen him in stuff and i've been like that's sure that's a guy ever since top gun he's kind of been one of those people you know (laughs) yeah but he's just kind of in stuff and i obviously yeah I've, i've seen uh top gun where he plays the um cold boy and for the record i've never seen top gun but even from context clues and enough pop culture, I, I know what character you're talking. Yeah, he about. plays he plays Mister Freeze in uh, Top Gun. He's the cold boy. Yeah, the cold boy. That's Val Kilmer. Yeah. Like I knew it was Val Kilmer, and I still thought it was Gary Oldman for most of the film. <laughs> That's how good he was. He transformed into the chameleon. So, have we got some news for this week? We have some news stories. Again, I haven't written jokes because I've decided that this is not the world where jokes live. Um, okay. But I have picked some inherently kind of funny stories. Mm-hmm. So, that's the compromise I've gone with this week. I've decided I'm moving back towards funny. I'm moving in the direction of funny, which is also a rejected title for this podcast. <laughs> Good. That was the right choice. Show us some news. Do, 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 news. 
news, 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 news. This is the bit. So, in news this week, the Prime Minister of Australia, no less, that guy, that guy mm-hmm. um, Mr. Scott Morrison himself, has said that Australians have earned an early mark on coronavirus. Australians have earned an early mark through the work that they have done. I didn't realise that this was a state difference that we had. I thought he was just being weird. I'm like, it's weird he didn't say early minute. Why yeah. didn't he say... I'm used to early minute. Yeah. And then some idiot that I made friends with from another state is like, that's the normal way to say it. And I'm like, oh, say graph properly, you idiot. Things devolved. <laughs> and it turned into a free-for-all scrap. <laughs> yeah, over video chat. And this is why you shouldn't be allowed to Skype your family. But... <laughs> I mean, apparently it is like an actual mark that you get on tests in New South Wales, which reflects something about their schooling system, that it's like, you've done well enough on this test that we're going to give you a bonus mark, and that means you get to go home early. For us, it was always the teacher got lazy. It wasn't It wasn't that some students got an early minute. It was like the class got an early minute. You, you grow up and your friends become teachers, and you're like, oh, man. Were our teachers dealing with all of this stuff and also teaching us? But we were horrible. <laughs> Every Everything that a teacher has ever done where you're like, oh, this is great fun for me. I get, you know, that. Every time it's probably just because the teacher is just tired. They're just like, all right, we're going to do this because it sounds easy. And I don't want to deal with you today. <laughs> <laughs> and that's fair. We're all monsters. So early mark is gross. Yeah, it's a weird way of describing it. Um, Say early minute, but also... Also, I was just saying, like, that's really patronising. Good work. We can have a Scooby snack or something. It's it's a little odd. Scott Morrison is not the nation's teacher. I would have accepted this from Turnbull um, because Turnbull had kind of teacher energy. Like, he was a bit too high up in the hierarchy to be fun, but... Yeah. Very, very rarely he was a fun teacher. Yeah. Like, like Mm -hmm. teacher jokes... Scott Morrison has done so much to place himself as like, I'm just a daggy dad, that now he's a daggy dad trying to have authority and you know he's not really the parent that does that. Also, the teachers are very cross with you, so I would just be careful, mate. Don't borrow language from teachers. They are a bit cheesed off, to be frank. Maybe I'm the teachers, says Morrison. (laughs) (laughs) I will teach every class. And one of the main reasons that he said that Australians deserve an early mark is because of the high uptake of the COVIDSafe app. The coronavirus is still out there. Our numbers may be low, but it's still out there. And if we allow Australians back out into a more open economy, a more open environment, without the protection of the COVIDSafe app, which enables us to know who has been in contact, how we can isolate those groups how we can constrain and uh, constrict that virus from getting to other people. We need that tool so we can open up the economy. And that's why it's so important. So if you haven't downloaded the app yet, download it. So we won't be talking about that really in the news segment because... You're about to deep dive. We're going to take such a deep dive. (laughs) You may have noticed when this podcast came up in your feed, uh, dear listener, that it is grossly long it may even be two parts i'm going to set it up to be two parts it may just be one super long bumper episode but it will be obscenely long and the reason for that is that the covid safe app is 
really important and there are a lot of weird claims going on around it and a lot of very sensible claims going on around it and it really needs more of a focused thing so that's what our tech segment is are you suggesting that i'm not focused (laughs) i would never say that darcy i'm intrigued now because i definitely downloaded the app but of course it coincided beautifully with the week that i decided to stay home Right, like, right. Completely. So I am not producing useful data, but, you know, I'm not infecting <laughs> anyone. So mix back. Yeah, it's it's a bit strange leaving the app on when you're, like, not leaving the house. This is so cute. My dad, we got him a smartphone, which is super illogical. His new stance on the phone is that he won't let it interrupt his day. I would bet $100 right now that that thing is battery dead sitting on his desk. We bought him a paperweight. And the other day I was chatting with him and he's like, I think I should download the app, you know, do my part. And I'm like, first of all, he lives on a farm. He's never leaving that farm. Like, it just doesn't <laughs> happen. <laughs> but who has he made contact with? There's simply no way for the government to find out. <laughs> like, because it would be of note. Like, some workers came up to do something on the farm on that day that we were chatting. And he's like, all in a tizzy. Because someone had come up and he's like, Brr. he's like a, a disturbed chook. His feathers were all a flutter. <laughs> Dad, I don't think the government needs particularly your data, but I mean, if you, if you want to hand it over, sure. You're going to have to charge that phone though, because I know it's dead. Yeah, you're going to need to actually run the app and use it if it is going to provide any information at all. Honestly, I low-key think that mum bought it for him so she can track him. <laughs> She's been working with the government. If they go to a larger city, he, much like myself, has no sense of direction. So it's very important that we track his movements. Much like like it is important that we track COVID sufferers. Yeah, those are the two things the government's really been trying to crack down on is old uh, white farmers where are they going coronavirus and your dad uh (laughs) those are the two that i think are equally worthy of our attention but you can uh listen to more of that discussion in radio dad the (laughs) other podcast that we do about the government's other focus at the moment i had a good news belgium needs to save its potato farmers so they're getting encouraged to eat a lot of hot chips this week because they have a surplus and they need to support they're beautiful potato farmers. And that's that's brought me the most joy this week. Well, from chips to drink, Nobel Prize winning immunologist Peter Doherty this week accidentally tweeted just the phrase, Dan Murphy's opening hours. And... <laughs> oh, that's... It's not a big story. I just... It's really where we all are. <laughs> Oh, no, I've just looked ahead to the next story, and I think we might have missed the window. Um, so this might have to be a thing for another day. What's the, what's the window? Let me send you a link in Skype, because this was my idea. Let me read the story to you. Owing to a lack of visitors, a Japanese aquarium has urged the public to video chat with their eels. <laughs> who have started to hide when their keepers come past. So normally these are quite shy eels, but because these particular ones live at an aquarium and need different levels of care, they become accustomed to visitors, and that allows the keepers at the aquarium to monitor their health and and look after them. But they're not popping out of their burrows at the moment as much because they're not really as habituated 
to having visitors. So what I thought was the way that we would wrap up this podcast today is we would have a short FaceTime call with some eels. Oh, uh, at the Sumida Aquarium in Japan. Um, so it's not just that you're streaming the eels, it's specifically that they want the eels to see your face. <laughs> that sounds so deeply creepy. But those have been some of my favourite stories like of, of zoos where they're like figuring out how animals respond now that the zoos are shut down. So some of the animals are like, hey, everyone was really loud. Now it's quiet. We like that. But other ones like there's a leopard who's just like launching himself at the captors in a nice cute cat way where he's like, tell me I'm pretty. No one's seen me in hours. We're going to need to get onto this pretty quick because the aquarium is doing it right now. So if you'd like to do this as our final segment of the show, I might actually do this with you now. Okay. I'm so keen for this. Let's see if I get some eels. And if you just call any of those numbers. Yeah, I'm trying a different one. I want to see an eel. And we're just going to keep trying to do this for 20 minutes. Because <laughs> they may not let us through. Okay, uh, yeah, so we've got 11 more minutes where I'm going to be calling eels uh, while I chat to you. So if I'm distracted at any point, it's because... Um, eels are happening. Because eels happened. Um, where did I want to go from here? Oh, yes, uh, we have an interview or something. <laughs> okay. I'm so distracted by eels. <laughs> this is all I care about now. We've been getting a lot of questions, um, most of them not eel-related. <laughs> Um, I can't do this at the same time. I'm so bad at multitasking. <laughs> hey, Darcy, can you introduce our tech segment? I'm just wanting to see eels. So we know that everyone's really concerned about what's happening with the uh, COVID app, and Justin and Angus have had a quick chat about it. So if you'd like to listen to Real that, quick. it's coming up right now. Beep. That was a really good button. I really like that. Thanks. I get it's complicated. I get it's a tough time to have serious conversations. So at the end of this, I'm just going to give a yes, no, um, <laughs> and be like, maybe I'll drop that at the start. Maybe I'll edit that back in and just be like, I love app. Yes. Right at the top. How I learned to stop worrying and love the app. What I thought we would do it's now saturday on i believe it was wednesday i put up on our patreon a list of covid safe facts and fictions that i've gone through and substantiated and debunked i thought that i would read some of them out to you see what you think about them see if there's more depth i sneakily behind the scenes sent these to you uh, before I did put them online. So I'm pretty sure they're relatively accurate, but thought we might just have a bit of a discussion. And also there are a couple of extra things that have come out in the last couple of days that I thought I might bring up at the end. Great. Or just as they are relevant. So Cool. Do you want to yeah, yeah. kick off? Claim one. The first claim made is that the app collects too much data. Uh, that yep. it is concerning for privacy reasons because even if you stored it perfectly, the data itself is not good data for the government to be collecting. Obviously, too much is a, is a bit of a subjective statement, mm -hmm. but let's let's get into it. 
the app collects a full name, which can be a pseudonym. Yep. It collects your age range. So it gives you a bracket of 10 years or 15 years if you're under 30. So it goes 0 yep. to 14, 15 to 29, 30 to 39 and so on. Um, a mobile number and a postcode. So those are the things that the app requests. Then when it shares that over Bluetooth, it also converts all that data into an encrypted code. That's yep. then sent via Bluetooth if your phone is in range of another phone running the app for greater than 15 minutes. Um, and as a part of that Bluetooth exchange, it'll also send the make and model of your phone. That's just how Bluetooth works. So it will also send that data. And contrary to popular or contrary to unpopular belief, I don't know how popular the belief is, um, the app doesn't actually monitor your location. Yeah. It tracks proximity. So could you explain how that kind of works they've talked about like a digital handshake yeah so effectively you'd have sort of two devices looking through other devices and then when they're in contact when it records that contact so it's like i guess when you're trying to pair to a device it's hard for me to explain but it'll just be like pinging periodically throughout that 15 minute span yeah yeah like like it would if you if you're searching for speakers or headphones or whatever so it'll be doing that like once a minute for 15 minutes and then yeah. once it's hit 15 minutes then it will go oh this is someone that you've been in the same range of for that full period of time yeah and it's only sort of recording those interactions it's throwing up once under 15 yeah yeah so it's using a natural function of bluetooth but it's using it in a slightly different way bluetooth mm. can inherently kind of tell you your proximity to another bluetooth enabled device I, I believe it's based on the Bluetrace protocol, which is what Singapore was using for their tracking app. So it's, it's using Bluetooth to sort of determine which devices are in 10 meters. Based on, I guess, strength of signal or something like that? Um, I actually didn't look into how the protocol works with that. I'm putting you on the spot here. Yeah, no, that's that's a good question. It's not something I've thought about. <laughs> that's okay. So I, I understand, though, that it basically pings once a minute, and if it hits 14 minutes and you walk away, it doesn't register anything. As soon as yeah. you do it for, which, which may be a come down to another question around efficacy, but if you do it for 15 minutes, that's when it starts to register something and that's when it stores something locally on your phone that then can be accessed when it comes to tracing a, a COVID case. Yeah. If you were diagnosed with coronavirus or, or if one of the other people uh, that your device has been making that record with, because of course both devices make separate records, then... Yep the state or territory authorities will be able to go, these people were in range and they'll just grab a list of phone numbers, call those people and yeah. say, hey, you should be isolating. You'd be, the state and territory authorities would be asking you to, uh, so there's a, there's a button in the app where if the health officials asked you to upload your data, you can. Yeah, yeah. It was actually, um, so Ellen downloaded the app just to check it out and yep. she hit that button just to go into the menu because we were just kind of going into all the menus. And even when it just said at the top of that screen, you've been diagnosed with COVID-19, I was like, wait, what, Ellen, you have? <laughs> I'd say very back to that, probably the point of too much data. Yeah. It doesn't really check the data. The, the only thing that the app actually checks is that the mobile phone number is, is valid. Yeah. So it doesn't check your name. You're not putting in anything like an individual healthcare identifier or a driver's license or anything like that. Um, so it's taking, yeah, full name, rough age, which isn't really identifying information all that much, uh, mobile and postcode. There's one thing I wanted to try to sort of test it out, but 
online there's a few tools where you can basically use like a burner mobile number to authenticate for things like this. So when you get the app and you open it, uh, it'll be asking you to put in your phone number and then it'll send a message to that number yeah. with a verification code. You should be able to use like a burner phone number online to verify on it. Yeah, although if you're in range of someone that is diagnosed, do you receive a phone call or do you receive a, like a notification through the app? Um, I'm actually quite sure. I, I expect it would be a notification through the app. Because that so would determine really the efficacy of that as a strategy. The... Yeah. That's a good question that I'll probably have to follow up on. I'll leave that as a comment and I'll uh, come back to you at a later point. Hey, this is Justin coming back to you at a later point. Angus wanted me to jump in here and clarify that this is probably a bad strategy. The government have now indicated that they will be calling people they suspect have contacted a confirmed COVID case, so clearly this won't work if you've registered for the app under a burner number. I'd also like to put a small question mark under our point about discarding recordings of 14 minutes or less. As discussed in The Conversation, in a good article that I recommend you go off and read, the COVID Safe Privacy Impact Statement prepared on the Friday before the app's Sunday release is based on a version of the app that collects, and in a positive case, uploads, data pertaining to all users who came within the 10 metre Bluetooth signal range even for a minute. So as the government have refused to let anyone independent look at their code, we can't be certain that the app now discards interactions under 15 minutes. Back to the interview. That brings us neatly to claim number two. Claim two. Which is that the app won't work as well as it's been planned to work. So these are glaring flaws in the app. But it's an opt-in process. It's self-reported. It relies yep. very much on the user to provide accurate information. Additionally, yep. because it's only measuring interactions greater than 15 minutes, you know, you don't have to be in contact with a service that's had coronavirus for 15 minutes in order to catch it. So mm. you may get some false negatives if you're just relying on the app to measure all potential contacts. Mm. And on a related kind of note, it includes interactions through walls because Bluetooth can't tell if there's a wall between you and another person using the app. Yeah. And it excludes interactions where you're not actually with a person that has coronavirus for that period of time, but you contact a common surface or their respiratory droplets make their way through air conditioning or anything like that. Uh, yeah. So these are all ways of catching coronavirus that the app does not detect. And then additionally, there's a whole bunch of iPhone teething issues, including battery use. But we'll, we'll go into those in a second. I guess that the biggest <laughs> issue there is, will this actually give us reliable information, especially as Scott Morrison is kind of moving to loosen restrictions on the basis of this app? Yeah. Yeah, I'd say using the app on its own on the face of it probably won't be very accurate because we won't have enough people i see it being a particularly useful app as a sort of extra way to trace yeah i see it as effectively giving extra capabilities but the government has flagged that they so they want to use this as a, a fairly key part of their tracing regimen something that i find kind of concerning there that hasn't really been brought up much is that i expect the nature of the opt-in it'll vary across communities and it'll vary across sort of different groups of people. So I expect there'll be certain areas where there's a much higher or lower uptake for economic, cultural, political reasons. And so that may also affect the efficacy of it. Initially, Scott Morrison was talking about there needing to be a 40% uptake 
Yeah. He's since revised that figure to the very specific as many as possible. But that that 40% figure, which I'm assuming was the actual estimate provided to him, would need to be relatively evenly divided among communities, among different, you know, groups that are actually catching coronavirus. Exactly. Um, so if you have if you have bubbles like somewhere like inner city Adelaide, we could see, you know, a huge amount of people opt in because they're relatively affluent and fairly techy. Or you could see a lot of people opt out because, you know, they don't like the government. I expect that we'll see some bubbles similar with vaccination. You know, you need a certain number of people to have herd immunity for a vaccine to work. And you see areas where the local vaccination rate is low enough that there's no herd immunity anymore. Um, I think that same principle could fairly easily apply here, especially, I guess, if you had maybe some MPs that said, no, I won't be downloading this and you shouldn't as well. And particularly that could be a problem in sort of rural or regional areas. I mean, clearly, regardless of whether the app is going to have efficacy beyond that, it's certainly not going to have any efficacy if people don't download it. So I guess Mm. if we're working from the base position that the app is good, having low uptake is, is going to be a pretty big concern that could also be like have a feedback effect right yeah if people decide to opt out for other reasons then the opt out may become the big reason that it's not an effective app even if those other reasons weren't valid in the first place you know Mm. speculation is the really big determiner of whether it will be successful in in a certain field anyway um i'm really trying not to weigh in just yet because we're only at claim two (laughs) Or halfway yeah. through claim two. I mean, these are the big claims, right? The opening couple of claims. Will it work? They're the main ones. Yeah. Will it work? Is it a problem? I'd also say with the iPhone taping issues, um, so that's something that I'm sure will be an ongoing thing. Apple has a, a sort of feature on their phones where they, by default, don't allow background Bluetooth. So it's not something that's technically impossible. It's a security policy with Apple that's affecting the app allowing the the phone to work in the background. So, And that's an interesting point that I didn't quite get into fully in the article. So there is that kind of standardized Apple policy. The chief information officer of the Department of Health, Daniel Keyes, has said that he's working on relationships with Apple and Google. And an Apple spokesperson in the same ABC article that I took that information from has said that they come to different agreements with different app developers. Yeah. So it's unclear at the moment, and it may remain perpetually unclear, whether the government app is receiving any special treatment by the operating system itself, whether the treatment of background Bluetooth information is going to have that priority or if it's going to be treated like any other Bluetooth information. That could be a pretty big determiner because what we've already seen is they've had to install a push notification in the application because it has a low background refresh rate or it may have a low background refresh rate the more apps you have open. So yeah, that could mean that the Bluetooth basically isn't pinging anymore, uh, which is the entire purpose of the app. If it's not refreshing, then it's not sending out that signal. If you miss any one of those signals in the 15 minutes, it doesn't count as a, a, a record. So you really need the app to be active for that entire 15 minutes And there's also a bit of a trade-off there around battery life. The app is definitely going to drain your battery. Bluetooth drains your battery. I mean, the government have talked about, well, if you normally run Bluetooth, 
apps, then uh, you're not going to lose any more battery, but a lot of people don't run Bluetooth apps constantly. So mm. it will impact your, your battery almost certainly, unless you're already playing music through Spotify or, or playing this podcast through Spotify, hey, through your car's speakers or whatever. But by and large, most people will have an extra battery drain from this and low power mode is not going to help out here because, again, it will lower the background refresh rate. That's part of yeah. why low power mode uses less power. So it is a bit of a trade-off there and some of the people talking about it right from the get-go have said, the concern is it doesn't matter how many people download the app. It's a matter of how many people keep it running. We have now, at the time of recording, 4 million people have downloaded this app, but that's not 4 million people that are going to be running it all the time, high background refresh or high in foreground refresh. That's not that 40%, right? We need 10 million people to be using it constantly, not 4 million people to be using it some of the time. Pretty much. Uh, I'd say one probably important thing there is that I'm not sure how we're getting the number in terms of how many people have downloaded it because if, uh, like, for instance, I have two phones and a tablet, I'm not sure if they're following based on how many people have downloaded it or how many downloads there's been. If that's something I'd like to follow up on because if it's based on just, like, Google and uh, Apple Store downloads, then that's also going to be probably misleading. Claim three. We've kind of moved into claim three, which is that the app won't have enough uptake. Yep. There's a couple of points that I've made here. So it's possible that it won't have enough uptake, right? We, we just don't know. It Just in terms of like how many people are going to download it, it's still up in the air at this stage. Yep. The five-day goal for downloads of the app was one million people. As I just said, it's been downloaded by four million people and we're on day six at point of recording. So that's pretty successful by the government standards. Now, what I've said is, I've said there are some technical limitations that may stop it reaching 10 million. Yeah. The first being that 9% of Australians, which is over 2 million people, don't have a smartphone. That's a pretty big one. That's a big uh, one. You can't have an app if you don't have a phone that can have an app on it. Yeah, that, look, that's a big one. And it also, I think, points to the previous point of mine that, there's going to be different levels of uptake in different areas. Yeah, yeah, okay. There are going to be some places where 30, 40% of people probably don't have a smartphone and there will be some places where literally everyone, or close enough to literally everyone does. So that's something that will affect most likely remote and rural and regional communities the most and also communities where there's you know a lot of people who aren't working who have limited income. Uh, and, and older populations as well are less likely to have smartphones. So it's it's obviously not going to be something that's flat across the population. It's something that will go up and down. And while it's less of a concern in areas that are less population dense, I guess, yeah. certainly the concern that uh, older people are less likely to have smartphones is a concern because of what we know about the coronavirus, that it does affect different people differently as yeah. people get older. They have more compromised immune systems that are less able to battle the coronavirus. Um, if those same groups of people aren't going to be downloading this app, then we've, we've got some real strife. Yeah, so it may reduce the caseload, but not necessarily the death rate, for instance. Right. The other thing that I've put here is that iPhone users need iOS 10 and Android users need uh, 6.0. Now... Yep. I've given some dates for those operating systems. You don't necessarily agree with my numbers here. 
Uh, I think the numbers are accurate. I think it's just that they're maybe somewhat misleading um, in that phones from before those dates can uh, can use those. So anything iPhone 5 onwards will be able to update to iOS 10. Um, so, I mean, that's six, seven generations ago, right? Overwhelmingly, people have updated to at least Android 6 or iOS 10. There's a website called Stat Counter that my understanding is a poll based on what devices are accessing um, the internet. So their Android and iOS version market share stats, they're showing something like 90 to 95% of people have been updated to 6 at least for Android and to, to 10 at least for iOS. So I think that's probably less of an issue, but also will be something that's um, also asymmetric a little be more of an issue in some areas and some communities. Right. So there's 9% of Australians don't have a smartphone and then a certain percentage of Australians might have an older version of a smartphone and might live in similar kinds of areas to the people that don't have a smartphone at all. So I'd call it probably effectively what 85% of Australians would have a smartphone that's capable of running out. Okay. That's based on the figures that you're looking at. So a combination of the who doesn't have smartphones and the stat counter information. Um, I believe that they're fairly well regarded in terms of the accuracy of their information because it's based on browser usage. Sweet. And if you send that to me after the interview, I'll chuck that into the article as well. The other thing that I've mentioned about uptake here is that unfortunately, the more people discuss it, the more people will believe there's an issue because they simply know that there's a discussion being had and that unfortunately um, will just inherently mean that there's not going to be much uptake. Again, maybe people have valid concerns about it, but even the fact that people are saying there might be concerns, no matter how valid they are, you know, that that is going to, uh, it, it will potentially complicate the issue and people will just say no. Yeah. And I am aware of the irony of, of dropping that mid-conversation when we've got <laughs> nine more claims to get to. But um, no, like, I, I think that's fair. That's that kind of Manichaean sort of light and dark, good and bad problem that effectively if people are debating things or are discussing things, it really makes it sound like there's two equally decent-sized to the argument to a lot of people. Yep. It's just like you know, debating does climate change exist leads to climate change denialists getting in a a really good position to say, well, there's a lot of doubt here. Certainly not to say that the app is as as perfect as as climate science, but... Yeah, and this is why I want to raise this this early. Um, We will be having a discussion at the end of this. If if you listen to nothing else, we will be having a back and forth at the end of this and deciding, you know, I'll be deciding whether I download the app. I haven't yet. I'm going to, at the end of this chat, make a call. Um, and I'm, you know, going to act on that. It's important that we do have the discussion, but that shouldn't, the, the fact of the discussion shouldn't steer you either way. Imagine bringing up Manichaeism. <laughs> <laughs> We're on claim three. I don't know what you're going to bring up on claim 10. <laughs> We're pretty much done with claim three. That's all good. Yeah. Claim four. Well, claim four, which I think we've sort of segued into, is the claim that the government has a bad track record on privacy generally. Um, yes. And that in this specific case, <laughs> is that you agreeing this claim exists or agreeing that they do have a bad track record on privacy? Yeah, no, they're nightmarish on privacy. Yeah, and we'll get we'll get into both of these claims kind of as a package deal. So the government has a bad record on privacy. 
yeah, they may not implement their own recommended safeguards for the app. Um, so yeah. I put those there as separate claims because obviously the general case of does the government have a bad record on privacy is influencing people's assessment, regardless of the actual information out there, about whether yeah. they're implementing good safeguards on the specific app. Yeah, so for me broadly, I have no patience with this government on privacy. Um, I think that Peter Dutton has done everything he can to push Australia away from privacy and to a situation where the government has access to too much information. That, I think, is maybe not unimpeachable, but I think it's a, a very strong position. Peter Dutton, please come back on the podcast. Obviously, he's been on the podcast previously, but... Please return and defend yourself on this one. I think there are some very bad faith actors in the government on privacy. I think they do sometimes a lot of things that do put effectively the state and its surveillance apparatus ahead of its citizenry. I think that argument is is, is fairly strong. Um, in terms of the safeguards, though, I would say that that's a bit different. At this stage, Minister Heinz made a determination about how the data is to be used. Uh, that's something that will need to be reinforced by the parliament when they sit. I don't believe at this stage they have. So again, I think they're doing so later this month. Yes, yeah. Effectively, Minister Hunt's determination does need to be reinforced by, by the parliament. Otherwise... But currently it's legally binding. Yeah, so a determination... Um, from the minister is legally binding until and unless the parliament determines otherwise. Although that's a little outside of my pay grade. Sure, sure. But I mean, that that is true. <laughs> but so they have a fairly clear policy in terms of how personal information will be used. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's directly stated, and I'm quoting here, COVID safe data cannot be used for any purpose other than contact tracing during the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah. That's about as clear terms as you could put that in, right? Yeah. Also, um, Christian Porter, the Attorney General, was looking at COVID safe from a sort of legislative perspective in terms of what legislation needs to be implemented to protect privacy. I similar feelings towards Christian Porter as an Attorney General in terms of privacy that I do towards Peter Dutton. But I think in this instance, there's no political incentive for them to, to really use this in a malicious way, is my view. If they were going to, having these express public statements that they can then have come back to bite them is not the way this government does business anyway. Like even from the most cynical perspective, you know, wh yeah. why would they commit themselves to that? They would just say, you know, we, we don't have a position on that at this time. We will do what's needed in, in order to protect the security of our nation. Mm. Making all of these very ultimatum-y statements isn't really common behaviour for this government at all. Um, I, I can imagine that people within the government would want the information to be available, uh, especially, I would say, Minister Dutton. But I, I don't think at this stage it's likely they'll sort of use this as a Trojan horse to get more location information. Yeah, well, I mean, the other thing is the kind of elephant in the room is metadata, which the government already yep. has very extensive overview over. It's There's a large number of law enforcement authorities that have access to metadata and can use that for purposes like tracking locations. Yeah. Metadata often includes location tagging, and so the idea that the government would then piggyback that onto this 
this this public health app without any provisions for law enforcement to have access to the information. It seems like an unnecessary second way of getting the information they already have extensive access to. Like, again, taking the most cynical perspective, it's not that the government are trustworthy, it's that the government are untrustworthy for other reasons. Broadly, I'd probably compare it to some other issues. One is is the the My Health Records scheme where the information that's available through My Health Records was the information that was already available through Medicare. And so an argument that I saw a lot with My Health Record was if you want to opt out of My Health Record, opt out of Medicare as well. Right. Because it uses the same uh, public care infrastructure as Medicare. It uses the same access as Medicare at a physician level. Really, there's there's that point of at, at what point do you go into the woods and start reading industrial society in its future. I've had a couple of discussions about this this week, and the analogy that I've kind of used is, you know, you, you could go on the one end and post all your financial records to Facebook. You could go on the other end and not register the birth of your child with births, deaths, and marriages. At a certain point, yep. uh, we need to make sure that we put information in the right hands as well as keeping information out of the wrong hands. And... If public health officials genuinely need this information to track cases of coronavirus and there are no other concerns that we should have around this app, then I think that empowering them to do their jobs is more important than the concern of, well, health officials get it, which means the government are going to get it, which means that law enforcement is going to get it, which means that my freedom Mm. of association is fundamentally in question. I, I think that's a step too far. I'm not going to understand that perspective. I think that it's obviously it's really good that people are thinking about their privacy um, and their data security, but I do think that questions like this, maybe people really need to be thinking about the other areas where our privacy is, is in jeopardy. The feelings are valid, the opinions are wrong, I think is the stronger form of saying that. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, you know, it, I don't love it. Emotionally, I'm not invested in it. Um, but I think that, you know, health officials are not law enforcement. I guess as well, if we don't have this, which is invading our privacy, it's it's, it's likely that we'll be asked to talk about who we've been in contact with as part of the contact tracing program. So if we're not having an app that has mostly de-identified data tracking who's in contact with who, in the event that people do get sick, then there's going to be direct questions of who have you been in contact with that is the process without the app how much of the objection to this is the information that's gathered and how much of the objection to it is that it's done so in a digital manner but it's going through devices rather than a notepad and a pen i don't have anything compromising as far as i'm aware i don't have anything compromising on my phone if you ask me to look at my phone right now i would still feel weird (laughs) <laughs> yeah i've been in the store having it set up just keyed in my password and put my sim card in it and then someone said now i need to grab it back off you so i can set up a couple of apps and being like oh i feel weird it's a feeling <laughs> thing it's not a you know it's not based on the facts but there's there's a discomfort there it's private um yeah and i think that does explain some of the discomfort that people are having around the app that it feels like an invasion more than it maybe is yeah and that's that's valid but it needs to be weighed against the other aspects of the app. At, at what point do you prioritise privacy over saving people's lives and livelihoods? It's something that's come up a lot, and 
it's a tough question because on the one hand, it's really easy for someone that wants too much of your information to say, well, this is in the in the name of security and you you would be protecting your fellow man if you give me the names of everyone you've met over the past month. On the other hand, you have a right to a private life. And, and I think as well, I mean, similar arguments we use to justify things like the Patriot Act in the United States uh, that we used to justify things like the, the metadata policy we have here in Australia. I feel like Hassan Minaj is pretty funny. I don't think that's, I don't think it was unjustified. <laughs> like, I think, um, <laughs> I, I think that this app, the trade-offs aren't as bad as they previously have been. But I also think there's a bit of residual sort of discomfort and anger, which is coming from a very good place, a very justifiable position in my mind. But it's, to me, it's the wrong fight at the wrong time. Oh, we're back. (laughs) (laughs) What a very informative interview. Yeah. Uh, What did you think were two or three of the salient points? Well, I thought that uh, Angus was very well spoken, as usual. And he always is. He covered the privacy issues very well, and um, I appreciated him with his easy explanation of how the technology works. Any of that? Any of that in the ballpark? Some of it. <laughs> Some of it. <laughs> I think we. I don't know if we gave a good explanation of how the technology works, but we certainly there's certainly technology in there. What I thought we would do now is we would have an old timey intermission in the middle of the interview, and what better time? to play our weekly old-timey music than the old-timey intermission that we've got halfway through the interview. So, uh, well, I thought you could pick an intermission theme from the same list, if that's okay, Uh, if I can force you to make choices for me again. I don't like making choices. Because I'm too busy FaceTiming eels. (laughs) It's a tough time. Someone's got to FaceTime those eels, man. So many people are FaceTiming those eels, I hope. That's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I get the sense that there's lots of people FaceTiming these eels because I can't see them. You're on blast eels. <laughs> um, ooh, now it is a toss-up between a little bit of cucumber and I want to be a janitor's child. There's also one that's just called Uncle Josh Playing Golf. There's another song called Uncle Josh Buys a Victrola. Is there like a series of Uncle Josh songs? <laughs> are they songs or are they just recordings of Uncle Josh, <laughs> Uncle doing, Josh things. doing things. Because we have no evidence to the contrary. I, I kind of want to try, I don't like that face you wear. I don't like that face you wear. Sung by Williams and Walker. Ah, ah, I don't like your This sucks. Pick another one. <laughs> <laughs> the chorus was good. That was so bad. How very dare you talk about... We can't end this. This is a podcast we want people to come back to the second one for a day later. Well, that's too much pressure. You choose one. There's one that's called I'm a Jazz Vampire, which I've just been wondering about for a very long time. Oh, we got to save that one. Yeah. For a vampire chat. I thought I'd look for like a song about fish or something. There's one that's By the Beautiful Sea by Ada Jones and Billy Watkins. Give it a whirl, girl. By the sea. By the sea. By the beautiful sea. You and I. You and I. Oh, how happy we'll be. When each wave comes a rolling in. We will duck or swim. And we'll float and fool around the water. Over and 
under. Our is rich. My is rich. So now what do we care? I love to live inside your side. Beside the sea. Beside the seaside. By the beautiful sea. You've been listening to Radio Lockdown, a Neptune podcast.